0: Hello boys and girls, this is Steve Tripp coming to you live from the Top Strength Project and this is the Top Strength Cast, a Grit Original. I am here to denounce the limitless bullshit surrounding the industry by sharing my own personal experiences and insights in an attempt to offer a more direct, sensible, and authentic approach to becoming the best version of ourselves Other experts at the top of their fields will be joining me to cover training for and competing in strength sports along with all things muscle. It is my goal to offer as much value through this platform as possible because I believe that there is no cruise control. There is no maintaining. You're either learning, growing, and getting better, or you're going backwards. So wake up, be present, be relentless, and let's go. hello boys and girls we're back it's me your host your mc whatever strip cam coming to you live from the top strength project here in the top strength cast studios excuse the painters tape in the background and and the appearance of the room we're kind of going through some renovations got some new banners to put up we're going to paint the walls uh, black to match do some rearranging things are coming together so sorry for the appearance today but next time around You'll have a finished product. Um, so let's get right into it. I put a post up a, uh, a questions box on my Instagram yesterday, day before. Just kind of wanted to put it out there see if anyone had any guests they wanted to have on the podcast or any uh, specific topics they would like covered and um, got some great responses. So I appreciate you guys are uh, weighing in and your feedback thus far has been great. So keep it coming. Also appreciate you guys listening, but we had a. Uh, Two or three of you are interested in learning about deloads, reloads, and what those are all about. So, um, that's a solid topic I could probably cover in a half an hour to forty-five. So let's get into it. Okay, the first thing before we talk about deloads, reloads specifically, um, we should probably talk a bit about some more concepts that uh, create programming, program design, progressive overload, and what all that means first before we describe you know what a deload. So, deload and reloads this the same thing um i'll get into that a bit more in a bit but first let's start off by talking about exercise versus training okay because they're not the same thing um within the context of this discussion we'll define exercise so if you're someone that takes group x classes goes to spin class peloton um or just goes to the gym on a consistent basis uh to exercise you know that would be exercise there isn't really necessarily a very specific or finite goal in mind there isn't a very specific plan you're just trying to come in expend some calories alleviate some stress feel good look better etc etc and that would be exercise um when it comes to training training is just basically going to be a bit more specific you have a very specific end goal in mind be it to peak your strength Manipulate your physique if you have a competition or an event or a photo shoot coming up You're gonna put together a, a very specific plan to achieve That goal or reach that goal or achieve the results you're looking for and that 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 would be classified as training There's nothing wrong with with just exercising You know some people just want to exercise because it makes them feel good and they like it But if you if you have a specific goal You need to train, you need to prepare for it um, from from all aspects to your actual training, the exercising, your recovery, your nutrition, your rest, your active recovery, your supplementation, and of course, sleep. All of those play a role and they all need to be managed and and planned because if we fail to plan, we plan to fail, right? Does that fit in this context? I think so. So that's going to be the difference between exercise and training. So... Within the context of understanding, programming, and deloads, this is going to be for those individuals that are training and not just exercising, all right? The next concept I think worth bringing up is, you know, what are you training for? Are you training more for strength, hypertrophy, um, endurance? Um, Because they're they're not all the same. Uh, If you guys happen to listen to my, I think, second or third podcast episode, I did one called uh, strength versus hypertrophy and, and I, I spoke about you know versus probably isn't the the best term because it's not like they're against each other they actually accent each other you know some a strength athlete would benefit yeah. tremendously if he were to train like a bodybuilder during his offseason or, or even implement bodybuilding style training in his programming year-round and and the, the opposite also true Um, a bodybuilder if he trains for strength You know at any point he'll be able to apply that newly acquired strength to his hypertrophy workouts and move more weight and create more stimulus Um, specifically how they vary uh, you know when it comes to strength training versus hypertrophy training it's gonna be exercise selection obviously right so you know when if you compete in strength sports you're competing for the squat you're gonna train the squat to be able to move as as, as much weight as possible in the squat you know, trying to be as efficient as possible and and, and coordinating all the muscles involved to move as much weight as possible from A to A within from A to B within the parameters of the competition. Whereas if you're bodybuilding, you may use a squat to develop your quads. Um, You're going to see more machines with bodybuilding most likely because the constraints of machines give you the opportunity to take sets to and even past failure. Um, and you're able to isolate certain muscles. So the the biggest concept to understand when you're training for strength or hypertrophy is that strength training trains movements, it trains skills, it trains the coordinated effort of all the muscles involved to move a weight or an implement a barbell or an implement from A to B. Whereas hypertrophy, you want to isolate and stimulate certain tissues. Um, So hopefully that Explanation kind of helps and and, and there's, there's other things that, that will vary when you're training for strength versus hypertrophy in the sense that for one frequency um, You know how, how if you're training for bodybuilding, you'll probably only squat once a week if you're training for uh, You know powerlifting or, or training for strength. You may squat two to three times a week um, You you'll probably train arms multiple times a week as a bodybuilder where as a powerlifter, you know, maybe once a week if at all So frequency is something very important to to understand with those concepts training for strength versus hypertrophy, as well as the specific execution of the lifts. Like I said before, when I'm training the squat for strength, I'm trying to be coordinated and be as efficient as possible. Whereas if I'm using the squat to train my quads for hypertrophy response, I'm going to approach that set with intent to isolate and fatigue my quads specifically. Um, Also, You know, when when you're training for for strength, you know, perfect practice, perfect execution is key. So you're doing more submaximal work. You don't want to see form breakdown, uh, compensatory strategies, asymmetries, you know, you want to choose your weights and your sets and your reps strategically so that all of your reps are really perfect and solid because if your technique shit that's bad practice you're, you're practicing a poor pattern and that's not going to yield the best end result where with with bodybuilding you're taking sets to failure at least one um you know let's say if you're doing leg press You'll do maybe a set or two to warm up, and then you'll probably take the third set to complete failure or past failure if you're fortunate enough to have somebody with you to give you some force reps. Where training to failure isn't going to yield a uh, a strength response, you're better off keeping things submaximal and having perfect execution. Um, now, specifically within the context of this podcast, when it comes to deloads, reloads, deloads and reloads are an essential part of strength training. They have to be in there. They're super necessary. You're you're only going to go so far if you don't incorporate, you know, specific programmed periods of rest and recovery between your strength blocks. Whereas in hypertrophy, you know, a lot of guys never deload. And if they do, if, if they are starting to feel fatigued, they'll probably just take a couple rest days, maybe increase their calories a bit, have a refeed meal. You know, the structure and application of recovery modality is going to be different in reference to hypertrophy than strength, and also if 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 you are somebody that trains for hypertrophy and you use big taxing compound lifts, you won't deload as often as you would with uh, with strength training. We'll kind of dive into that a bit more later and later in this in this episode. All right. So we covered exercise versus training, and we spoke about uh, strength training versus hypertrophy training, the context within them, and how. Uh, a deload would apply to either if at all with hypertrophy training where it's an essential piece to strength training uh the next concept that we definitely need to cover to make sure you guys have a, at least a decent understanding of it, is something called progressive overload so progressive overload when it comes to training and writing programs and designing your training there has to be some semblance of progressive overload present in order to provide a stimulus that will cause a training adaptation and what progressive overload is is You're basically manipulating the different aspects of your training, specifically intensity, how heavy your training relative to one rep max volume, sets times, reps, frequency, uh, rest periods. These are all things that can be manipulated to achieve a overload response progressively progressive overload so that you can get stronger, um, to talk about it, to talk about each of those a little more specifically when it comes to intensity, let's say if you're doing a four week block, You will increase intensity over the course of that block week to week so throughout this whole episode i'm going to use squats as uh as the example so that um and we'll 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 just talk about squatting and squat workouts so that i'm not jumping all over the place and hopefully that'll help you know where i don't have a a whiteboard or notes and, and some of you guys are just listening to this the audio without the video um hopefully that'll help it be more understandable without the visual aid of a of a chalkboard or or a whiteboard so I can kind of write this stuff out so we'll, we'll, we'll stick to squats all right so when we talk about how we would progressively overload intensity let's say if we are training fives all right we're doing sets of five this month the way that you would progressively overload that is something like let's say week one for my squats and this this would be the the main compound Competition lift of of the workout. So I would start with squats. I'll do my drills and warm ups And I warm up to my squats and I would probably start if I'm doing straight sets and again This is just an example. Um, there's no there's a lot of different ways to bake this cake So this is just a kind of you know, a bit of an example on how to do it This isn't the best way. This isn't the right way. This is just a way. But for 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 example If I'm training fives that month my, my workout will start off with a barbell back squat and let's say on week one I'm doing six sets of five And I'm probably going to be around 70% 70 of my one rep max. So I'm going to do six sets of five at 70%. So if I'm a 500-pound squatter, I'm going to do six by five at 350 pounds. All right. Then week two, I will increase my intensity to 75%. I may decrease my volume a bit. So instead of six by five, I'll do five by five, but this time at 75%. So 5% so I'm gonna add essentially 25 pounds 5% of 500 is, is 25 right yeah so I'll go from 350 to 375 so I will have five sets of five at 375 on week two week three let's say I'll go four sets of five so cutting out another set decreasing volume while still overloading intensity I'll go up to 80% so I'll have four sets of five at 400 pounds for my squat then, on my final week, which would be my peak week of this block, maybe I'll put eighty-five percent on. Which, for those of you who are who kind of have a bit of an understanding of, of percentages and how they, and and their, their associations to certain reps, eighty-five percent is understood to be uh, your five rep max. So, if you are a five hundred pound squatter, you should be able to squat four twenty-five for five reps, right? But after applying this progressive overload structure and strategy to my training over the last three weeks by increasing intensity each week by 5% and decreasing volume by five reps each week. That specific application of progressive overload should yield a positive training adaptation where when I put 85%, which was my five rep max on the bar on my peak week, I'm hoping to be able to get more than five. And if I do, if I get six, seven, eight reps, there's a way that I can take, let's say I get eight reps. So that's three more reps than expected. So there's a way I can kind of recalculate and upregulate my training max, which was 500, to a bit more for the following training block. Does that make sense? I always do that. I ask, does that make sense? Like I'm going to get an answer. I'm not going to get an answer. But I hope that made sense. So that. That is a is an example of an application of progressive overload in manipulating both intensity and volume. So I increased intensity each week by 5% and I decreased volume by five reps each week. So week one was six sets of five at 70. So that's 30 total reps at 70%. Week two was five by five at 75. So I, I decreased volume to 25 total reps with 5% more weight. And then I took another five reps off Four by five is twenty total reps at five percent higher intensity at eighty percent. And my final week, my peak week, I'm gonna have one set an AMRAP for as many as I can at eighty-five percent. So I increased intensity one final time to five uh, by five percent. And I and I only have one set. I only have one set. And whatever I may do, be it five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten reps. Um, That's the one set. So you can see this decrease in volume over time while I'm increasing intensity. And that is an application of progressive overload. Other ways you can manipulate progressive overload besides volume and intensity. Let's move on to, um, you know, if, if if we're navigating through a squat workout, my next exercise may be a pause squat. So let's say after my, let's say week one, after my six by five at 70, I'll go to a pause squat. So uh, maybe I'll do two or three sets of three pause squat and I'll bring the intensity down to probably something like 60%, 62, 57%, something like that, because obviously you can't pause squat as much as you can uh, squat without a pause. So the, the weight comes down, the intensity comes down and we're going to do, let's say two sets of three for my pause squats. Now let's kind of change things up a bit here so the way that i'm going to apply progressive overload to this exercise the second exercise of 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 the workout maybe i'll increase both volume and intensity each week right because i'm decreasing volume with my squat so maybe i can increase volume on my paw squat on my barbell variations. so let's say week one i'm two by three at sixty percent Week two, I could go three by three at 62 or even 65% so I can increase both volume and intensity. Then maybe for week three, we could maintain, we could go three by three again, but go up 65 to 67%. And then on my final week, after my one set of squats, maybe I'll do four or five sets of three in my pause squats and also bump the intensity up a little bit, maybe go 67 to 70% for those pause reps. So you can see two similar but slightly varied applications of progressive overload where for the competition lift I decreased volume while increasing intensity over the course of a four-week training block and then for my barbell accessory my pause squats I increased volume adding a set each week and increased intensity a little bit I didn't do five percent jumps I'd probably do more of a two and a half percent jump each week because again this is a barbell accessory lift The, the point of this lift isn't so much to improve my pause squat as much as I'm using the pause squat to improve my regular squat. And uh, that's something that's always something important to keep in the back of your mind when you're selecting how much weight you're using how many reps you're doing and how many sets you're doing it for because your accessory lifts be it a barbell accessory or your remedial lifts your your kind of bodybuilding high volume stuff, you know that stuff. The, the point that's in there if if, if, the, if the overall goal is to create a strength adaptation, the the meat and potatoes is going to be in that compound. It's going to be in the squat, that six sets of five, five sets of five, four sets of five each week. And then you strategically choose your barbell accessories to address the potential weak points of that squat and all of which should be submaximal. You know? So if it's two sets of three at 60, both of those sets should be work. They should be challenging, but they shouldn't fucking crush me. You know, we're trying to create a stimulus without too much cost. So that's kind of why I wouldn't increase the intensity each week to the same level of my barbell accessories as I do of the actual barbell lift. And then let's say, for example, we'll do one more squat variation. Maybe we'll do like a double pump. Um, we'll cut the weight down a little bit more, 50 to 55 percent. And week one, we'll do two sets of five. Double pumps, 50 to 55. We'll go three sets of five for weeks two and three at around 55% and then we'll finish with 2 to 3 sets of double pumps on week 4 maybe a little heavier 55 or 57 so you see for the majority of my programming I apply that kind of the, the the most common application of progressive overload where I'm going to decrease volume and increase intensity over the course of the training block and I will usually lightly increase both volume and intensity for my barbell accessories all right And again, this is just an example. One example of program design. You also notice that I'm just training legs. Um, This would be a split routine where I would probably do two lower body and two upper body days of the week. So I'm training just squats and quads and hamstrings. Um, Maybe some calves on this day. And then my next day might be an upper body day. My third day might be a lower body day like a deadlift day. And my fourth day would be another upper body day. Um, That's a split routine. That's one way to do it. It's probably the most common way to do it. You have high-frequency routines as well where maybe you'll bench four to five times a week or press three to five times a week. Maybe you'll divide your squatting over the course of two days rather than one. There's, you know, that, that's, a whole other, that's a whole other spiel as far as program design. No right or wrong answers, just um, different approaches um, you know, to try and achieve different results. All right? So moving on, we've done three barbell lifts. We've done the squat and two variations of and you can kind of cherry pick what variations you'd like to use for the squat of course to address the potential weak points of the biomechanics of your lift um to give an example if you notice that your hips are shooting out in the bottom um if there are any asymmetries you could incorporate uh tempo you could incorporate high heel elevated goblets you could do anderson squats where you squat down to pins and essentially unload the bar at the bottom so the so the weights no longer expressed over the system it's, it's on the pins instead and then you have to recreate your tension and recreate your position out of the bottom which is a great way to clean up the bottom of the squat um, front squats different barbell variations you, you could do whatever you'd like but whatever whatever you do my recommendation is to do that for the whole block when it comes to training blocks be them three four five or six weeks in my opinion, the movements, especially the core movements, the barbell variation, should be the same throughout the whole block. You don't want to keep throwing in different stimuluses. I know a lot of people love changing it up, changing it up, keep the body guessing. Um, you know, you have, to, you have to train the same thing long enough to benefit from the stimulus provided, if you're always changing shit all the time, you're not going to get better at anything. So usually, what I'll do is, based upon how the previous block went, if there are certain specific things about each lift need to be suggest- that need to be addressed, I will strategically choose variations of that lift that I'm going to train for the entire duration of that block. Again, be it a three, four, five, or six-week block. Then, usually after the barbell compound lift, the competition lift, and the accessories, I'll go into some type of single leg or unilateral movement. Um, we're, we're still talking squats for the purpose of this podcast. So, it'll probably be some kind of splints, some kind of split squat, some kind of lunge, something like that. And the way that you can progressively overload that, let's say if I'm doing uh, three sets of 10 on week one. So, when it comes to these kind of remedial accessory lifts, at the very least i want to maintain what i did from the previous week so let's say for all four weeks i have three sets of 12. um if week one i do it with 135 pounds week two maybe i'll try 155 week three 175 or week three maybe i'll try to maintain the same 155 but decrease my rest periods that's another application of progressive overload decreasing rest periods um that works you know just as well and then for the fourth and final week maybe i'll try and go a little heavier or again maybe at least maintain what i did the previous week and just do a better job you know shorter rest periods better execution better speed better timing better coordination whatever it may be so uh, we kind of have a light more intuitive application of progressive overload for these kind of uh remedial accessory lifts and then at the end of the workout I'll probably go to some machines, maybe some single joint stuff like leg extensions, superset with leg curls, and then finish with a with a machine like a leg press, um, a hack squat, a power squat, a pendulum squat, whatever it may be. And for those of you who have been following my programs, that that's a very common structure that I use. You start with your warm ups and drills, then you go into the compound competition lift, you'll do one or two barbell accessories to address potential weak points something unilateral and then, uh, utilize the constraints of the machine to get a nice pump, target the muscles like a bodybuilder, and then, uh, usually finishing with some really high reps on a machine. Um, so that would be an example of how to apply progressive overload to a squat workout. All right we're almost at reloads and deloads I promise all right next thing I think that's important to cover so everyone has a, a decent understanding is program design all right and certain career, certain considerations that need to be taken into account when designing your or someone else's program right so for one you you heard in, in the examples I gave I said you know you could do either a three four five or six week block what would determine Uh, what would be optimal? You know, how long should your training blocks be? Well, things to consider would be the individual's training age, how long they've been training, um, their proficiency and skill within these lifts, and basically how, how how strong they are, you know, because something that needs to be understood is that the stronger you get, the older your training age is, the more experience you have in executing and training these lifts, the better you are at them. And therefore the more weight you can move and also therefore the more costly they are right so let me explain a bit and see if I can make some more sense of that so if you were to take someone that's that's been doing it for a while and that's let's say take me for example so I've been doing this for a long while and I'm I'm a a pretty good squatter right I've been practicing the squat for 20 plus years Um, I can squat in the range of you know 770 to 800 pounds And when I do that when I max my squat it's gonna take a lot out of me Uh, I'm gonna be very fatigued after and it's not something I can do every day you know I can't hit a 750 plus squat every day or multiple times a week it's gonna take a lot out of me it's something that I essentially have to prepare for um so if we go back to the the example where I talked about uh, the program you know week one I'm probably squatting in the five hundreds say six by five at five hundred ish and then week two, I'm doing five by five in the high fives. And then week three, or, or low sixes. Week three, four by five in the mid sixes. And then week four, that's when I hit 700. Now, week one, I probably wouldn't be able to do 700 plus. You know, I have to kind of work my way up to it. And after I do it, after I do a maximal set, be it 700 or, or, or in the low sevens for a set of three to five. It's gonna take everything I have and I'm gonna be very fatigued after so it's more costly it's going to fatigue my central nervous system much more than that of a beginner who if he or she would work up to their max it's not gonna be as costly because they haven't developed the, the the same amount of skill and proficiency in the lift to be able to coordinate everything they have to move as much weight possible even though relatively it's their max it's not the same as someone's max who's been doing it a while because it's going to take more out of somebody that's been doing it a while than someone that's just getting started um it's not common for me when i just take somebody on to you know if their if their technique's pretty good and they can move pretty well and they have a pretty decent understanding of the lift it's not uncommon for me to work them you know to just about max them every week you know because they're in a position to do it because they're learning and the newbie gains, you know, you, you'll see people slap on five, 10, 15 pounds every week when they first start getting, when, they, when they're first getting started because they, they're actually learning. They're not so much like developing new muscle and and pack it on a bunch of slabs of meat and that's why they're moving more weight each week they're really not building any muscle at all in the onset for the first few months of training six months even a year but what they are doing is they're learning how to coordinate all the muscle that they already have and that's why you see these dramatic improvements week to week from someone that's new it's not because they're actually building a ton of new muscle it's because they're learning how to again coordinate and get everything that they already have to work together and to apply it to the skill of a squat. So if you guys can understand that concept, you can you can kind of see where I'm going with it. Someone who is new can train four, five, or six weeks without having to deload, without having to take programmed rest. Where myself, I'm usually best uh, three weeks on, so two weeks of accumulation, my peak week. And then a week deload or reload or sometimes I'll go four weeks but if I go four weeks I can tell you I feel great on week three week four I'm feeling like dog shit some fatigue has accumulated over the course of those three weeks and, uh, and and I'm fucking feeling it so those are some things to take into consideration when you're designing a program you know are, are you gonna do three weeks on one week off four weeks on one week off five weeks on one week off if you new, you can go as you can go six or seven weeks before you need one week off You could also do it intuitively but um but but it all depends all all these different all these different pieces are are all very important factors um another thing to consider when you are preparing your program is your schedule you know are you are you peaking for a specific event a specific meet so if i have 16 weeks so if, if the competition is 16 weeks from today if i want to get through four training blocks, four training phases, I would probably do a three week because three week plus the one week deload, that's four weeks per block, four times four is going to give me the 16. Um, If I only need to do three blocks, then maybe I could do the four weeks because that's going to be five weeks per block, three weeks of accumulation, one week peak, one week deload, there's your five weeks. So I could do three five week blocks, that's 15 weeks, and then I could do a week taper as I as I go into the meet so that's something else that can be taken into consideration when you're preparing your training and, and writing your training is do you have a deadline do you have a a, a specific event or a specific competition that you're preparing for because then if, if that is the case you need to take that into consideration when you're when you're deciding um, how many weeks you are going to be training before you before you take uh, the deload so in review your training age your proficiency and skills in the lift are gonna be a huge component when trying to figure out how many weeks on versus how many weeks off you're gonna need when you're organizing your training and also your schedule all right so we covered exercise versus training strength versus hypertrophy so exercise versus training if you're just exercising you don't need to worry about deloads you are just exercising, and taking group X classes taking spin classes and just trying to feel good trying to enjoy exercise get your feet wet whatever it may be or maybe you're just maintaining. Maybe you've been training for a while, you're just looking to maintain, and you're just trying to come in and train to live and have fun and that's all fine. Deloads don't apply to you if you're training because you have a specific end goal result, then that's going to be training and there needs to be some kind of process, something put together for you to follow to put yourself in the best position to be successful. Then when we talk about strength training versus training for hypertrophy, uh deloads and reloads are essential. They're an essential piece to strength training where More often than not, they don't even exist in hypertrophy training. And if they do, um, they they may not use a deload to recover. They may just take a couple days off, may increase their calories, have a cheat meal or a refeed meal, whatever it may be. So the the strategies they use to elicit a recovery response are going to be a little bit different. And they may more than likely probably aren't deloading at all. Thirdly, the understanding of progressive overload. All right, manipulating the factors of intensity, volume, rest, frequency. over the course of a training block to yield a training adaptation. Uh, one thing I forgot about is, is reps. So something else you can do to apply progressive overload world is just try to increase a rep a week. So let's say if week one on on like the lunges, like say, let's say, let's say week one, I do three sets of 10 at 155 week two. I could do three sets of 12 at 155 and then week three. I could try three sets of 15 at 135 and then week four. I could do three sets of 18. Um, So increasing a rep each week is another way that you could apply progressive overload to the specific movements. But at the end of the day, when writing a program, you have to understand that there has to be some semblance of progressive overload present in order to cause stimulus that would force a training adaptation. Kind of throwing a lot of info at you guys. I hope all that makes sense. All right. So finally, to define deloads and reloads, basically what it is. Is it is a strategic calculated means to give your body a break so you're going to cut back on intensity volume frequency reps you're going to increase rest periods basically you're going to manipulate all these aspects that go into training that go into the workouts to give yourself a period of time to recover before going into the next most likely heavier block now why is this why is this necessary why is this essential and and more and and more importantly what why is it essential and necessary in strength training and not hypertrophy so let's dive into that when it comes to strength training strength training is is primarily a central nervous system adaptation right so i'm trying to uh build and improve a skill i'm trying to get all the muscles involved in the squat in a coordinated effort to move as much weight as efficiently as possible from A to B. So that's going to tax my central nervous system as well as my muscle tissue. And just like muscle tissue does, all the neural tissues like the, the neural pathways, the neurons, neural fibers, they they get damaged and, and tear just like muscle tissue does. Um, for those of you that don't know, you know, the whole point of exercising and training is you're trying to create cellular damage. So if I'm doing, we'll stick with squats, if I'm squatting, I'm trying to create cellular damage and tear down muscle tissue in the muscles involved so that while I'm recovering, resting and eating, my body says I got to grow and I build more muscles, right? So muscles have direct blood flow. They have great, um, a a great ability to recover where, where neural pathways don't, they don't have the same recovery mechanisms um, and facilities available that muscle tissue does, So now you guys can probably see where I'm going with this. That's why it's essential to offer yourself planned strategic recovery periods like deloads. And it's not so necessary in bodybuilding because bodybuilders are training specific tissue. Um, And again, they're usually doing it within the constraints of machines, which don't yield as much they're not as costly as heavy compound lifts and also if they're doing compound lifts they're probably doing higher reps they're probably doing sets of six to eight to ten to twenty which is obviously going to be done with lighter weight um which isn't going to be as costly as which isn't going to be as costly to the central nervous system as you know a heavy single Um, or five heavy singles eight triples four triples six doubles whatever it may be that that's going to be more taxing to the central nervous system where if a bodybuilder is doing you know three sets of ten of a squat they're going to be using a more appropriate amount of resistance that's going to tax the muscle tissue but most likely won't cause as much damage to the to the CNS the nervous system as strength training would so with an understanding of, of that concept you'll see why it's so important and it's so necessary and essential to deload when strength training and and not so important for hypertrophy training um so what does that look like all right so let's go back to the uh the three-week squat training block that i did so week one was six by five at 70 week two was five by five at 75 i'm sorry four weeks i gave you a four-week example i apologize Uh, so week one Six by five at seventy. Week two, five by five at seventy-five. Week three, four by five at eighty. Week four, AMRAP at eighty-five to test and see where I am. Right. So now, after that peak week, I move on to my deload. Now, how do I structure my deloads? Typically, more often than not, it's the same workout. It's the same workout in the sense that I still squat, I still pause squat. I still double pump squat, I still lunge, I still do leg extensions and curls, and I still do leg press. But very specifically for my squats, what I tend to do for my D loads is I maintain my volume from week one. So if you remember, week one had the most volume. It had six sets of five, so 30 total reps. But week one was at 70%. So for my D load, for my lower body, I'll probably take 10 to 15% off whatever my week one numbers were so if week one was six by five at 70 I'll take 10 to 15% off I'll maintain the six sets of five keeping volume high but I'll cut the weight to 55 or 60% so dramatically less weight but still high volume. Now why is that? I like high volume for my D loads as long as it's with less weight because reps are going to cause circulation. They're going to cause pumps. It's going to bring circulation into the muscles, which is going to help get waste products out of cells and bring new nutrients in. And if it's lighter, it's not going to be as taxing on my central nervous system. The same applies for the other barbell accessories. I'll take five to 10 to 15% off what my week one pause squats were two sets of three. I'll take five to 10 to 15% off what my double pumps were two sets of five. And then for my lunges, um, in here is dependent upon how I feel. If, if I feel good and I'm not like really dragging ass, because when, when you accumulate fatigue over the course of a training block, you, you fucking feel it. You'll know. Um, some symptoms that I've experienced. For one, let's say if I finish training block and my last, you know, my, my peak week was an AMRAP at like 700 pounds. And let's say if I hit five reps at it. That next week when I come into the gym for my D-load, my D-load weight might be around 4,,500 pounds, but when I walk it out, it feels like 800. you know, It feels like a ton. And that's because my central nervous system is fried. And even though it's significantly less weight than what I had on my back last week, it feels like a lot more. That's central nervous system fatigue. Additionally, kind of the aches and pains. they just feel different. It's kind of more raw. And it's more systemic you know it's, it's 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 you feel it in the specific tissues like you know i feel soreness in my quads i feel soreness in my hamstrings but i also just kind of feel it everywhere um sometimes i get a little bit of an acidic taste in my mouth kind of like kind of like i'm putting my tongue on a nine volt battery um that's when it's really bad but basically you, you'll notice that your performance is shit. you know what, what should feel like what should feel like 500 feels like 700 and 800 and and fatigue masks performance So that's why it's so important to take these deloads because what ends up happening is as you are accumulating intensity and volume over the course of a training block, your body's recovery mechanisms are also upregulating to match the increased stimulus you're providing to the system. But of course, you can only do that for so long, right? And there's an individual bias to this. Beginners can do it for longer. People who are more advanced can do it for so long. But over the course of three to four weeks, as I'm upregulating my input, my body is upregulating its recovery mechanisms. And then after I peak and I cut the input down, again, usually 10 to 15% from my lower body lifts, five to ten percent for my upper body lifts, my recovery mechanisms should still be upregulated because the body's gonna supercompensate. So during that deload week, my recovery mechanisms are all maxed out. And they're doing the best they can. And because I cut my input significantly, I should be able to elicit I should offer my body a chance to recover and and it should elicit a recovery response. So again, that's, that's how I most most commonly um, apply deloads to my training it will be the same workouts, the same exercises, but I will take 10 to 15% off. Of my lower body compound lifts and five to ten percent off my upper body so my benching and my overhead pressing i will decrease i will take five to ten percent off of my week one numbers for the deload and as far as accessories like i said again um, i'm going to be intuitive about it i'm just trying to get a good pump just trying to get great mind and muscle connection really flex and squeeze draw circulation into the muscles and into the joints to help elicit a recovery response um I also, you know, I try to walk as much as I can, um, you know, all the time. But on my deload week, I'll try and get my step count up as well. Um, I'm not lifting as much weight, so I and, and the workout should be much shorter. So I should have the energy and time to get a few more steps. Um, but you know, wh- what better way to recover than, than just walking? You know, walking is is so undervalued. It creates uh, peripheral circulation. It's gonna. Increase heart rate for for a short period of time doesn't have to be super hard you know just just going for a nice brisk walk 10 15 20 minutes it's going to get things moving and you're going to feel a lot better a lot of times when people are really tight and achy um they either want to sit on their ass or they want to stretch you're much better off going for a walk i'm telling you you're going to feel so much better so getting my steps up during my d-load week is 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 definitely a priority but also with food um many people are biased to the understanding that they should probably decrease their calories when they decrease expenditure. If you want to recover optimally, you should at the very least maintain your calories. Keep the calories the same, and your meals the same, and your food the same as you do when you're training hard. Because if you if you cut both, it's going to affect your body's ability to recover. Keep calories where they're at. Keep calories consistent. Keep calories high during your deload week so that your body has. You know all the necessary tools it may need to recover um so that's something important too you know make sure you're staying hydrated make sure you're still getting all your calories in keep calories high even though you're cutting um your training significantly because you need those calories you need them they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna help you recover a great deal uh one more thing to consider something else may come to me but When it comes to deloading, uh, in between phases versus before a competition, um, usually a deload is a week in between phases that should be enough. So again, if, um, like the example is before, if you're training four weeks on, you accumulate over three weeks, you peak on week four, you take a week deload, and then you start the next block. When it comes to competition, uh, for most people, beginners, intermediates, one week is usually enough. Um, to recover before competition, but um, what I've been doing for the last like year and a half, um, and I should have been doing it longer, but I didn't. But I, I learned the hard way because I show up to a competition and I wasn't recovered. I, I gave myself a full light week, but I wasn't recovered. Um, so similar to the to the example before, when I was talking about how long you know your your, your training block should be based upon how proficient and skilled and advanced you are. The same applies to recovering to elicit, you know, to, to, to recover fully for a competition. So you can actually express the strength that you've created over the last 12 to 16 or more weeks. And it's going to take more recovery than you think. Again, this applies to those that are doing to give you some numbers, like, you know, if you if you're if you're squatting and deadlifting, triple body weight, pressing double body weight, you know, that's that's kind of the realm I'm talking about where. You're probably going to need two to two and a half weeks to recover from your last heavy deadlift. You're probably going to need 10 days to two weeks to recover from your last heavy squat, and you're probably going to need a full week to recover from your last heavy bench press. So one week isn't going to be enough. You know, you, you can't peak. You could, but you're probably not going to perform as well on game day as you would if you were to peak, take a deload week, and then take an additional taper week um there are many people that just rest and don't do a goddamn thing the week before a competition I'm, I'm not for that I still want to move I still want to uh you know grease my joints keep things moving so usually I will peak two weeks out from a competition I will take my normal structure deload and then I'll do something like called a taper where it's different from my training I will usually put together Two to three taper workouts for the final week leading into competition that are very competition specific. So, um, for powerlifting on Monday, the Monday before the competition, I will do squats, bench, and deadlift in varying percentages. So, a week out, my squats may be you know sets of one to three at seventy percent, seventy five at most. My bench, I could do more, like eighty to eighty five, and my deadlift. 50 to 55 now why the difference the deadlift is arguably the easiest lift from us from a skill perspective but the most costly from a fatigue perspective so the deadlift in comparison to the bench and squat is is more of a simple lift it's not as complex so you don't really need as much practice but it definitely takes the most out of you so that's why if you notice I gave myself two full weeks or more for my last heavy deadlift before competition day And I only need 50 to 60 percent, you know five six or seven days out just to just to practice just to practice the lift nothing more Um, Squats are kind of in the middle They lean closer to deadlifts in the sense that you're not gonna hit anything really heavy um, Inside two weeks. So 65 70 75 percent on that first taper workout is enough and then for bench, you know Bench is, is perhaps the most skilled. It's the most skill oriented lift. Um, that's why you see you know much higher frequency. A lot of guys are pressing two, three, four times a week, um, and it's the least costly. You know, I can hit a pretty heavy bench a week out and be able to recover and actually express um, my, my my strength on game day. I'm still training pretty heavy close to the meet, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the whole understanding. Um, a lot of people try and rush and get these epic workouts in close to competition, but you have to realize. You are not going to be able to provide a stimulus and recover from it in time to actually express the strength you have attempted to create on game day. You know, two, two weeks out for just about anybody is all about recovery. It's all about a listen response. You got to cut your volume way down, cut your intensity way down, keep your food up and just kind of go through the motions a bit. Kind of just, just practice the skills of the lift. You're not, you know, if... If you didn't hit what you wanted to hit two weeks out and you, you know, you you pull a max deadlift a week out and you hit it great, but it's not going to be there. It's not going to be there on the platform on game day. If you're training that heavy, that close to competition, you have to give yourself adequate rest. So in short, usually a week deload is enough in between training blocks, but I'm usually going to give myself a full week deload and a full week taper. Uh, before competition because i want to make sure i'm fully recovered and able to actually express the strength that i've developed over the last 12 16 or more weeks in preparation for this competition or this peak whatever it may be um let me think that's about it hope all that made sense um I hope you guys all have a better understanding of not only what a deload or reload is but 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 why we do it and also how to organize your training around it um again it's essential for strength training it's a huge piece of the process um you're only going to be able to adapt to what you're able to recover from you know so um it's, it's it's a huge component when it comes to to strength training um You know we become very consumed and driven by the act of training you know taking things like pre workouts and using ammonia salts and doing everything we can to get all hyped up to execute to get as much out of the workouts as we can but you know recovery is 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 really is really the show you know you're only going to adapt and and be able to show what you're able to recover from so the training stimulus is, is very important obviously but the recovery stimulus is just as much if not arguably more important when it comes to actually being able to to be successful um when you need to be which in this con which within this context is going to be on the platform in a competition setting all right guys um thanks a lot for the suggestion uh we have a few more like that coming up i'm going to go over stretching um i'm also going to go over Starting a business, how I started my business. I think it's a a pretty good story because it's definitely very unconventional. This is never the plan. I never planned to open a gym. I never even planned to be a personal trainer, to be honest. So, I'm going to do an episode, kind of going going on about that because I know a lot of you guys and girls are very interested in going off on your own and doing your own thing. So, I'm I'm happy to offer. I wouldn't say that it's advice or guidance, but I will tell you how I did it, Um, and hopefully that'll be helpful to you guys. So, thanks again for listening appreciate the feedback very very much keep it coming um like i said like i've been saying all along it's, it's very important to me to, to offer as much value as i possibly can um within within this podcast so so, so keep talking it up keep letting me know what you guys want to hear and i'll keep doing the best i can all right thanks again for listening guys and uh have a great rest of the week take care all right so that just about wraps up today's episode uh, thank you guys so much for tuning into the top strength cast i hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed putting it together uh, if you did in fact enjoy it please leave a five-star review like share whatever it may be to help get the word out we really appreciate the support um, and also your, your feedback your feedback means a lot to me feel free to reach out uh, shoot me a dm directly at StripCam or comment below you know like i said in the intro it's most important to me to offer as much value through this platform as possible and it's it's very helpful in doing that to to get your guys feedback let me know what you like what you don't like what you want to hear um you know i really want to provide the best service possible so thanks again so much for listening we'll see you guys over there and we'll see you next week for the next episode thanks again